Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by and happy... What weekend is this? Memorial Day weekend. And we'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly. But right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. It is Saturday morning, and we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape. Or if you'd like to do a specialty garden space or, oops, Put those house plants out and put them in the sun. Little sunburn, are they going to recover? Well, what is potting mix? How to improve your soil before you do any new installation of hardy type plants, either perennials, woodies, or whatever it happens to be. And should you be doing any shearing or pruning this time of year? And uh uh-oh, what are those things? Those red clover mites are all over my patio. They don't do any damage to the plants. They're just really aggravating. And if you squish them with your fingertip, they smear red, those dirty things. Anyway, information I'll share with you hopefully will make you uh, or enable you to make a good decision on your landscape. Of course, the final judgment of the action you're going to take is going to be yours. And this is your show, and I appreciate you having me in your car, home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player is James. He's producing. He'll answer the phone, so all you need to do is give him your first name. He doesn't care about what you're calling about. We'll just talk about that between you and me. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. Today, after the show, I'm headed towards Fenton, or actually into Fenton. And uh, if you would like to have me do a walk and talk in your yard, my website is MikeMillerDesigns.com. Go there, and on the homepage, there will be my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And my apologies, uh, the nasty storm of a week ago Thursday knocked my phones out, knocked my computer out and everything else. So I think a, several people, not several, but a few uh had left messages email-wise and on the phone voicemail, and those are gone. I could not recover those at all. So it's just been a real heartache and a disaster. But anyway, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Ah, the Soldier's Memorial, which is now part of the Missouri History Museum District. And uh, there is... 
just quite the interesting building, and it looks so much better than it did for many, many years. Many years it kind of just sat there and kind of looked really stoic, but boy, the landscape and everything that has been done recently really makes it look great. All the flags were at half staff, and uh, there's one flag on the north side. There's a dedicated plaque there which says, City of St. Louis dedicated on May 30th, 1938, to our war dead, and it also says museum rooms open to the public. And there's some classic statuary, huge statuary, two on the north and two on the south side of the building. They have readings underneath them. One says loyalty, another sacrifice, another says courage and vision. And along the foundation of the building, you're going to see plantings of boxwood and catmint. And all kinds of other plants all over the place. There's lawn. There's some ornamental grasses. There's some liriope, columnar, maples. Ooh, they're dominating. And across Chestnut, which is a street that goes right across in front of the museum, uh, a huge oak tree. And this oak tree actually was dedicated to the youth, and it's a youth living memorial of the City of St. Louis Institute, and it was dedicated on October 23rd through the 25th in 1939. So this oak has been alive that long. It was sponsored by the uh, League of Women's Voters, and Bernard Dickman was mayor at that time. There's other plantings, the liriope, there's some spireas, there's some viburnums, and along with that, there's plenty of squirrels and rabbits all over the place. The flagpoles in front of the fountains and the reflecting pool, there's a separate flagpole for each military branch. There's also oak leaf hydrangea in bloom, and they were really highlighted nicely by the morning sun. The signage at various locations says this is a story book walk, and that's sponsored by the St. Louis Library. This is just absolutely a wonderful place to come and just relax and take it easy and just stroll around very casually without having to walk a whole way or great distance or anything else. And there's plenty of parking around with parking meters and everything else. And uh, just it's a great place, and it's dedicated to some people that are really, really important. So, again, if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We do have phone lines open, so give us a call. We go where you go. 1120 AM, 98.7 FM, KMOX.com. Yes, folks, we've got phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Last week, a gentleman called and asked me about a plant called Archangel and or Archangel. I don't know which it is. But anyway, uh, I said I didn't know what it was, and I hadn't really at home looked it up yet. But uh, somebody sent me an email, and she informed me that it is actually Lamiastrum. And Lamiastrum is kind of a, I don't want to say an ugly type of Lamium, but this is a group of uh, ground covers, herbaceous-type ground covers, that more or less kind of go away, not totally in the wintertime, but they really kind of... But this is one that's not really all that great. Some of them have some really striking foliage. This one's just kind of mutated. So this is the Archangel. 
that the gentleman had called about last week that I did not know what it was, and somebody took the time to email me and tell me this is exactly what you know the gentleman was talking about. Other things that you can be thinking about this time of year is still plenty of time, or not plenty of time, but there still is time to improve your soil. And one of the topsoil quality guidelines, and this is something that really St. Louis Composting puts together, you know, the whole concept of this topsoil quality. And this is information from the University of Missouri. And the specifications require that topsoil be ex- have acceptable ranges of organic matter, clay soil is, clay soil in it as well. So clay soil is part of it because you're going to be mixing this topsoil in with the existing soil, and more than likely your existing soil has a high clay content to it. So you want to have a little bit of clay so it just kind of it reaches out and shakes the hand of the existing soil. And then also the a measure of the soil pH, the soil acidity. And it's preferred to be obviously no weed seeds or plant diseases or anything like that. That's why, you know, St. Louis Composting basically does all the testing they do. So the pH is an indication of the acidity or alkalinity of the soil. The soil pH must be measured to really get an accurate value. Those paper test strips are not really very accurate. So the home test kits and everything else, okay, you can go ahead and do that. But in reality, if you want to really know what's going on, have a a laboratory like the University of Missouri. You can take it to – you can send it to the University of Missouri or you can take it actually into Kirkwood on Monroe near the train station and drop off your soil sample there. And they'll not only let you know what the pH is, but also what all the other factors are related to the nutrients and everything else. Because sometimes we keep fertilizing and we think we're doing some good by fertilizing and fertilizing and fertilizing. But if some of the nutrients like the phosphorus and potassium are pretty high numbers, even just to 12, you know, over years, they can become extravagant levels and actually do bad things to the plant material. So with the pH, the ideal pH for the majority of plant material that we grow is between 5.5 and 7.5. 7 is neutral, so you don't want it too alkaline. There are a few plants that like a lot, you know, alkalinity as far as the soil goes for good growth. One is lilacs and another one is clematis. But for the most part, even your lawn, your lawn wants an acidic soil. So this whole concept of this whole idea about putting lime down on your lawn to have a better lawn is totally wrong. So some of the really acid-loving plants, as you well know, any of the uh, broadleaf evergreens like the hollies, the azaleas, or things that are you know fruit-oriented, blueberries and raspberries, both like a soil pH, really acidic. So if you're planning on growing any of those type things, you got to get a you know soil test done ahead of time and then make the changes to your soil to get the pH right rather than putting your plant material in and then getting a soil test done after that and find out exactly what you should have done before. And I know it's really difficult to, you know, get your soil ready ahead of time before you buy your plant material because every all of us get to the point where I just want to get this in, I just want to have it something that looks aesthetically nice, and then consequently 
then it takes a plant material and sometimes it's really detrimental to, to the new plant material. So improve your soil, even if it takes a full season or a full year ahead of actually installation of new plant material to get everything right. Also really important is soil texture. And that's really, you know, kind of the mixture of everything to make sure it is well-drained. So it includes sand and silt and some clay particle sizes and things like that. And it really makes it perfect situation for the plant material because it wants to have the root system to go down in there, let the rainwater percolate down in there where the root system is. And the soil texture is measured by, you know, there's different methods to do that. And then finally, the organic matter, which is an essential part of the soil structure. It reduces compaction. It helps plants retain nutrients and improving the water holding capacity of the soil as well. So that's really the important part of you know, organic matter. It's ideal to have organic matter content of 3% or greater. So those are the part of the things that are all part of a good topsoil circumstance. So whether you're adding or whether you're just, you know, trying to do it yourself by adding some, you know, each particle or each, you know, part of it one step at a time, that's really up to you. And other things that you need to be thinking about right now is the weeds, <laughs> the spring weeds, they are finally going away. So those annual weeds, not all of them. I'm just saying the perennial sp- spring weeds like dandelions. Gosh, I can't believe how many dandelions I found in my yard this year. And I had most of them under control. So the seeds are just blowing in and it was just, but these cool season annual weeds, which germinated last August, now that we're really getting the warm temperatures, really warm, uh, they're going to be disappearing entirely. But through their entire growth you know, growth time, since, like I said, August up until now, they've been pr- producing flowers. Consequently, they've been producing seeds. So as a result of that, things like common chip, chickweed, the annual bluegrasses, the henbits, the speedwells, the cl- rabbitfoot clover, purslane, and things like that, they are finally going to be disappearing. You go out there and you look in your yard and you wonder, what's turning yellow here? It doesn't really look like lawn. Well, it probably isn't. It's probably an annual cool season weed that's just finally sinking into the ground dead. But uh, what's happening as well, though, at the same time, the warm season weeds, which started virtually when the yellow forsythia was in bloom, the spurges, the ragweed, the purslane, the knotweed, the lamb's quarter, the crab grasses, the barnyard grasses, the goose grasses, the foxtails, and things like that, and violets, they are just now exploding. And you think your yard was pretty much, you know, your lawn area, your garden space, or whatever, was pretty much weed-free, but it's just kind of amazing that you you stay on top of it, you get the stuff under control, and at the end of the season, ah, you can take a breath and think, well, i am got this pretty much under control, but then by the next year, things have already changed. That's the thing about weeds. They are just prolific as far as their ability. And we feed the birds, and so consequently, you know, <laughs> the birds can, you know, cause some problems. I feed them. I just throw the grass seed on top of the sidewalk, 
and let them eat that. But it brings a bunch of them in, and sometimes they've been eating something someplace else that I would prefer not to have those sort of seeds left in my yard as a result of them going to the bathroom while they're having more food in my yard. And so consequently, small bed spaces or large bed spaces that I would think this, you know, these were pretty much weed free. Then every year you got to go out there and go after some of this stuff. And what I've been doing for the most part up until now is using uh, just hand digging. But I'm going to start using, you know, some of the broadleaf weed killers, some weed be and things like that, and some grass killers. I've got uh, some plantings of sedums between the sidewalk and street. And what I did is I converted a, those areas that were one-time zoysia lawns, I converted them to the sedums and things along that line. So consequently, with the sedums, you know, are there, they're getting prolific but there's still some of the zoysia. And what the what this grass killer is, the grass killer I can spray in the sedum because the sedum is a broadleaf plant, and consequently it will kill the zoysia, but it won't damage the, the sedums whatsoever. And this grass killer specifically says grass killer and will say on the label that it can be used with other broadleaf plants. Now, narrow-leaf, narrow-bladed plants, if you got grass or, you know, grassy weeds growing in your liriope, you can't use it in there because that's a narrow-bladed plant and it's going to have a killing interaction with that. So consequently, just realize that that's the case. But this, you know, this is made by ortho and it says grass killer on it. And it really works very, very well. I've been happy with it over the years, but... Uh, yeah. It's a slow process. And why don't we, our first caller of the day is going to be Nancy. Nancy, how are you today? Hi. Hi. Um, I have three questions if I can. Sure. Uh, the first is we planted three ornamental trees, and um, we want to know, uh, we dug the hole real big, did what we were supposed to. We want to mulch around, say, maybe the root ball. Can we spray Roundup around the outside of where we mulched? To kill the grass, and then we plan on killing uh, um, that and putting in compost and stuff. Would that roundup hurt that tree? No. Great. My second question is uh, with the bird seed. I have the black sunflower seed husk from my bird feeder, mm-hmm. and I have used that as mulch in my marigolds. Was that a bad idea? No, not at all. It's just, I mean, there's probably going to be some of the, you know, some of them weren't eat it or weren't eaten, so consequently you may have some sunflowers come up, which generally is not going to be the case because a black sunflower is not something that really does well here. That's why there's no sunflower farmers in this region. So oh, okay. You can use it. It's That's fine. Okay, now my third situation is I bought some boxwoods 20 years ago, and they were supposed to be smaller. They got huge. So I cut them down with my little chainsaw, and I, um, you know, left stumps about, oh, at least some of them are four inches in diameter. They are starting to sprout again. Right. Do you think that they those will turn into decent-sized small shrubs, or should I just try to get those out? Uh, I, you're probably I never going to be happy with them just in general, but, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, how, let's say, experimental you want to be, but if you want to try them for a year or so and just see what you think about the growth that's coming 
and if it's going to be thick enough to really give you the kind of the boxwood appearance, let alone the you know the smaller shape and size, then I mean it's really kind of up to you. But probably for the most part, this is going to be a uh, a huge job just to dig out the old boxwoods and uh-huh. then to bring in some new ones. Yeah, what would I got some lavender? I was thinking of putting that where the boxwoods were. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, uh, the only problem is if you took care of your boxwood and they stayed green and everything, if you put like iron sulfate and things like that in that soil to keep your boxwood healthy and growing and everything else, the lavender doesn't really like that kind of acidic soil. Herbs, for uh, the most part, like neutral or slightly alkaline soils. So you could try, you know, again, be somewhat experimental, try a couple of them and see what you think, and then you can go from there. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Sue will be talking to you as soon as we come back from break. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yes, rock on. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with the questions, concerns, or comments. And Sue, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much. Two quick questions. Okay. Um, for Mother's Day, one of my gifts was this beautiful hydrangea plant. Um, it's in a pot, but it's really unique. It's kind of a cross between a hot pink and a red. I think it must be a new thing. And I love it, so I have it in this pretty pot on my deck. But I'm thinking for winter, does it need to get in the ground or I bring it in, or it's just going to be done. Like, what would you suggest? Because I love it. I really love it. It's beautiful. Oh, if so, was there? I'm assuming there was a label with it that told you what kind of hydrangea it was. You know, if it could be planted outside and that type uh, thing. You know, and I don't know if I even read it through all that because it just 
came as a gift in a pot. Oh, so, so maybe there is one on it somewhere. I just haven't, I haven't looked. Yeah, you that. should look and make sure. Okay. Because I mean, there are certain varieties of hydrangea that are not really hardy for this region. Kind of like a mum sometimes isn't hardy. Exactly, because kind of okay. we our weather is just too screwy. Yeah. It would be yeah. okay if we were a little bit consistent one way or the other, but just mm-hmm. like what we've had recently. I mean, a few days ago, think about how cold it was. And now right. tomorrow it's going to be in the 90s. So, right, and right. that happened earlier in the you know earlier in the season as well. So, yeah. but what you can do if you really like it, I don't know how I large it. is actually the pot. Um, ten um, inches across. Could, yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. What Something you like could that. do is if you can find out if it's a hardy one and you don't know exactly where you want to plant it for the mm-hmm. long term is dig a hole and just drop the pot down in the hole for the winter time. And oh, that way okay. just it'll be safe. You won't have to pull it out. You won't have to put it someplace permanent until you can okay. figure out exactly where you want it. Okay. All right. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Okay, and I'll look for that little tag. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it has one. <clears throat> and then question number two is I've been in my house for 30 years. When I moved in, there were azalea bushes kind of along the sidewalk. There are gorgeous of course when they bloom but over the years they get bigger and bigger and bigger and i do trim them after they bloom and i've done that forever but they are really encroaching on the sidewalk should i now that they've bloomed and they looked pretty again should i just really severely trim them or are they just never going to recover and i just need to give up and get new bushes yeah i'd probably think i don't know how many you have there you don't necessarily have to take them all out but maybe mm-hmm. every other one and just get some mm-hmm. new ones because okay. if you prune them severely, the recovery as far as the aesthetics and just the overall health in general is going to be pretty minimal. That's what I was worried. Like they just look kind of sticky. Right, kind of exactly. Not so good. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that helps me. Thank you so much. Great. My pleasure. Uh, memorial. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And if you do have some fruit trees in your yard, like apple trees, peach trees, or things like that, we've already had the flowering. You're probably going to be seeing some fruit set real soon. So just realize that these trees, regardless of what type they are or anything else, really can't afford to support the amount of fruit that got pollinated as a result of the flowers being pollinated or got created by, you know, the pollination of the flowers. So go out there. If you even have to get a ladder, just be careful on the ladder and start removing some of the fruit because it's just going to exhaust the tree just in general. And not only that, sometimes if there's too much fruit on a branch, it can actually cause that branch to crack. And then you get some water running down and you get it inside the more or less where the crack is. And then you get some hard, hard You get some rot on the inside, and it causes really more of a nightmare than what you could possibly believe. Let's go over to Barbara's yard now. Hi, Barbara. Hi. Hi. I was calling to uh, ask, how do you take care of ferns? Ferns. There's lots of different kinds of ferns. So are we talking about just the, the, the classic Boston fern, the big one that's a tropical? Or are we talking about plants in the ground? Well, uh, the one that comes, the big one, not the plant in the ground. Okay. What they really want, they don't want to really be in full sun. They can take some early morning sun, let's say, from, let's say, sunrise up until 10 o'clock, 
and then sometime after like 7 o'clock they can get some direct sun at those times. They would need to be in pretty much the shade or at least pretty dense shade. It doesn't have to be total shade, but part shade for the rest of the day, and they have to pretty much be kept moist. Okay, and can you plant them in the ground after the season is over? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can, but they're not going to survive. So and oh, okay. a lot of times people, they're really, you know, classic and they're great, beautiful. You know, I mean, they're really beautiful and everything else. They're very animated when the wind's blowing. And people try to bring them inside, and that turns into be, for the most part, a nightmare as far as they start dropping, you know, part of the foliage and everything else, and they just turn into a big mess when they're inside. Okay, that's fine. Thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And again, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. The bluegrasses and the fescues and those type of lawns have really been doing pretty well because of our weather's been up and down and all around, but it's been pretty cool. But we're going to start to notice that your cool season lawns, your fescues and bluegrasses are going to start to go, it's getting too hot, too hot for me. The zoises are going to go, hallelujah. We love this heat, so just realize that. And uh, this time of year, don't be fertilizing your cool season lawn at all. So no fescues, no bluegrass you know, fertilizing it during the heat of the summertime. You should be fertilizing them in the fall and the spring, but not in the heat of the summertime. So let's head over to Russell's yard. Hi, Russell. Hey, here's my situation. My wife bought some uh, tulip bulbs at one of the big box stores uh-huh. and uh when she brought them home she forgot where she placed them and i found them the other day so <laughs> my question is what can i do with them uh probably you're better off to first of all just take a you know take your hand and just feel each individual bulb and see if they still feel firm and if they still feel firm i would just hold on to them until the fall, until like September, and plant them in the ground at that time. And only plant them in the ground at that time if they still feel firm, you know, in September when you're planning on installing them. But if you plant them now, you're not going to get really get probably adequate growth that's going to help them, you know, flower next spring. So that it's just a, they're sort of out of sequence, let's put it that way. I got you. Okay, well, thank you for your help. Sure. And, and speaking of spring flowering bulbs, this is a time of year where I've already cut back my crocus because the foliage was about half uh, half brown. I've started to cut back some of my daffodils. They weren't really getting all that brown yet, but they were all laying down, <laughs> laying horizontal rather than standing up. And I'd already cut all the flower stalks off when they'd finished flowering. But uh, this is a time of year when you've pretty much want to get all the foliage off your spring flowering daffodils, tulips, crocus, and things like that. So let's head now over to Debbie's yard. Hi, Debbie. Good morning. Good morning. I have a problem with an, I have a problem with an October glory maple. I have two of them in my backyard. The one is fully leafed. The one that's got a problem is real thin, and I can see through the tree. Ooh. And the leaves are kind of, like at the end, they're, they're kind of orangey looking. Like, like they're still, you know, young and tender. Right. I don't know what's the matter with it. Uh, it sounds like, are they in close proximity, first of all? 
Um, they're probably about 30 feet from each other. Right. So my guess is the one that's not doing well either, and let me ask this too, how old are they? How long have they been in the, your, your landscape? I'd say about 15 years. Oh, 15 years. So just the one that's not doing well, there's all kinds of diseases that really can impact, like one is anthracnose. I would have a tree service come out and take a look at it, especially if you're seeing that discoloration on the leaf, the one that's not healthy. So in other words, with the humidity and everything else that's happened, that's probably what the problem is with this one and why this one has it and the other one doesn't. There's all kinds of different factors. Maybe there's more moisture in the soil because this might be a lower spot or something humidity might be higher in this area, and that's why you're getting this foliar disease. Okay. All right. Um, okay. I'll do that. I'll try to get a hold of someone and have them take a look at it. Right. Because that's better than just try. Because you're not definitely don't do any fertilizing. Everybody or many times people think if something's not doing well, if you fertilize it, that's going to turn it around. But a lot of times that sends it downhill quicker. Okay. All right. I did notice there is some at the very base of the tree is some like if I put my finger on the trunk, something's very black on there. It's not sticky. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of tough to figure out what that might be. Yeah. So. Okay. All uh, right. I'll get a hold of someone to come check it. I appreciate your help. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Matt's yard. Hi, Matt. Hi, Mike. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Uh, I cut my own grass, but a lot of the people in my neighborhood have... Uh, grass surfaces cut their grass. Sure. And I notice that it doesn't matter what weather conditions they are that these people come and cut the grass. And I was just wondering if you have, say, top-of-the-line weather, uh, grass services, lawnmowers, mowers come, do they cut the grass in proper weather conditions, or do they just come at any time? And cut the grass. Uh, all depends on the individual company, because sometimes they can create real problems. Another, you know, another, you know, related to having a mowing service come in. Also, if they're not cleaning the bottom of their mowers when they leave one location to go to the next one, there could be a lot of weed seeds and stuff like that stuck on the underside of their mowers. So there is problems related to that. The really good companies, they're not going to come out. Let's say. The other day when it was raining and necessarily cut their lawn, your lawn right after a rain because it can cause, you know, some problems related to that. Also, you know, making sure that the clippings, because let's say they haven't been, you know, cutting the lawn often enough, that the clippings and they leave them lay, that can create a humidity problem and that can create a lawn fungus problem too. So there's several different you know, factors related to using a service. Yeah, exactly. The other day, right after it rained, when the when the sun came out, there was a lawn service that came out across the street and cut the grass. And I thought, well, that was pretty stupid. Yeah, I, I mean, they get on these tight schedules, and there's not really too much they can do. But I understand that. But still, it's you know, it's a factor. Hopefully, they're there for the benefit of your lawn, not just to get the job done. Okay. 
So the better services don't do that. It's just the ones that try to get the job done just to get the job done. Right. Okay. That's what I was just curious about. Thank you very much for your time. Have a good holiday. My pleasure. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Joyce's yard. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. I've got a couple of questions. Uh, start out with the uh, mushroom stink horn. Um, I had a couple of questions. Are they harmful? And I know they have a terrible odor. <laughs> yes. Um, what's the cause of them, and uh, do I treat them? I treated one with um, a mixture of bleach and water, but um, they it's in a pretty big area of my hosta garden uh, because there's a lot of shade there. Right. So consequently, what they they only grow on dead plant material, so that's a, oh. the whole mushroom group. So there's there's either dead tree roots, or they, they, let's say they maybe unfortunately I don't know if you put mulch down, but they could have the spores could have come in with some mulch or something along that line. But consequently, that's you know you can get rid of them any way you want to. Okay, it, I'm sure it was the mulch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because there wasn't previous trees. Okay, oh. so uh, this my second question is, I, I love my lemon uh, hydrangeas. They're just such a pretty lime yellow color. Right. So they're really pretty, but they haven't bloomed in two years. Ooh. So are you pruning them? Uh, yes. Stop pruning. And second of all, oh, okay. and how old are they? Uh, about three years old. Oh, so they should still be blooming. So it's just no pruning whatsoever at all. Okay. And and that's for uh, any hydrangea because I have a big leaf hydrangea in my front that gets um, it, pre, uh, it gets sun, then sun and shade. Okay, that's fine. I mean, if it's a PG hydrangea, is that one that blooms in the spring or one that blooms in the summer? It blooms in the spring. Well, I'm not real sure because it hasn't it has not bloomed yet. Okay, but I did I cut that off too, so I need to leave that one alone. Yeah, too? for the most part, people do too much pruning on the hydrangeas, and they okay. knock the sequential type circumstance for blood or blood for bud set, <laughs> and you know that's what uh-huh. you know where the problem is. Okay, all right, I will quit pruning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Mike. I love your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, people are, I mean, addicted to pruning in some ways. It's kind of like addicted to haircuts, <laughs> which I am not personally. But anyway, let's head over to Bill's yard now. Hi, Bill. Good morning. I've got a, uh, uh, several sugar maples in my yard, and I've been unable to get grass to grow underneath. Is there anything you can do to get grass to grow under maples? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. I mean, real, I mean, to be realistic, the maples. I grew up on Maple Lane in Ellisville. We had the silver maples, 
and the lawn mm-hmm. underneath, pretty much impossible. We could get mosses, we could get weeds, we could get various things. But classic-type lawns in that situation just is not going to happen. It's the root system is part of it. The, sh- the shade is, a, you know, is part of it, but the mm-hmm. shade is a minimal part. It's the root system of the trees that are the main problem. So is it they suck the water or the nutrients? or Yeah, it's like it's yeah. this big brood of a tree says, I want that moisture, I want those nutrients, and consequently the grass goes, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so, and I mean, also, you can put new seed down, you can yeah. put new sod down, you can do well, it. Yeah, I've it tried all gonna, that, yeah. Yeah. No, no. yeah, also I've got some bent grass invading my fescue lawn. How do I deal with that? What kind of grass is this? Bent grass, like oh. golf course. Yeah, just go head to your favorite garden center and tell them this is what you have. And there should be a specific type of herbicide that can go after that that will do minimum amount of damage to the, I'm assuming it's a, this is a clump, minimum amount of damage beyond where the clump is. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it, it, there's spots all over the yard. Right. Uh, yeah, a uh, neighbor put in a putting green. Oh. Several several years ago, two, two doors down, and I, I'm on the west side, and the wind blows this way. Right. And also, birds love it for making nests and things like that, and they can drop oh. just a couple you know, pieces, and it can get, once it gets established, then it's like a heartache. Yeah, yeah. One more question. Sure. My irises grow too tall and spindly and lay down. As the stems are weak okay. on the, you know. What what causes that, or is there something I can do? Uh, basically, where they're growing is not sunny enough. I see. Okay. So now some of the varieties will have longer stems, like the Japanese, you know, mm-hmm. iris. But the the classic flag, it's just a situation where there's not enough sun, and that's why they're weak. All righty. Okay, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And uh, we're probably not going to be able to get another call in because we're just about out of time for this hour. So, Ron and Mike, if you want to hang on till after the news, we'll get to you guys first. And just, you know, heading out to your favorite garden center this, this time of year, the pansies, the cool season annuals, there's some of the ones I have, I have like probably four or five different pots. Some of them in pots really still look really good. Other ones have already melted down. So just realize that those guys, along with the spring flowering bulbs, are going to be gone real soon. Mike Miller, see you after the news. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it's the tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. But right now, you can give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mike, Marge, and Ron will be getting to you as soon as I get the this introduction over. Anyway, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs, and all arounds. Of the annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, shrubs, trees, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take for success, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board, there's James. He's producing. He answers phones, pushes all the buttons, and everything else. During the week, I do landscape consulting, and on weekends, too, I call it a walk and talk. Today, after the show, I'm headed out to Fenton. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for an individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to all the folks that uh, went into the military. Regardless of what war, what time, or anything else, or maybe it was a t- period when it wasn't a war, but just the military here on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I've spent three years and nine months. I got a three month early out to go to school, and I was in the Air Force in air intelligence, B 52 strikes in Vietnam, read the aerial photography, and then when I was on back on the, in the stateside, I, we had satellite imagery, and we were checking all the industrial sites throughout the world to make sure that they weren't making them into nuclear plants or things like that. So a tip of the trial goes out to everybody that spent part of their life in the military to the benefit of everybody. So that's the tip of the trial. So why don't we get a call or two in? Let's go to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Oh, good morning, Mike, and uh, thank you for taking my call, and thank you for your service. Sure. Um, So I've got a plot of ground in my backyard, about eight foot by eight foot, and uh, I want to transplant some blackberries there, and uh, there's a lot of violets and weeds there. Can I spray that with Roundup before I transplant? Oh, yeah, definitely. I would certainly get everything, you know, that you don't like killed off and then turn the soil over and then go ahead and let whatever, you know, may come up again. And so just be patient and get rid of the majority of the weed problems out of there before you, you know, do any kind of installation. So you may have to, you know, prolong actually putting plant material in just to get the weed circumstance under control. So that might take a a year? Yeah. It may just take six months. You may be able to get them, you know, most of them, the majority of the weeds are under control and then do the, you know, do some uh, fall planting. And fall is really the best time to plant. Planting in the summertime is really brutal for any plant material that's being installed other than, 
you know, the, the annuals, but they even take some extra care if you're putting them in in the heat of the summertime. So kill the weeds and then turn the soil over. Right. And then these are blackberries. Uh, can I transplant those from another part of the yard? Uh, yeah, but if you're going to do that, then you should probably, you know, wait and definitely until, seven, you know, till probably late September, early October to do it. And you right. get them, you know, then get them moved into the new location. And also, if you don't know what your soil pH is, find out what the soil pH is because the blackberries really like an acidic soil. And if the soil in this particular location is not acidic, that's going to be bad news for the, basically the blackberries just in general. So how deep do I need to dig down uh, for the existing blackberry plants to transplant them? Uh, probably, you mean to d- dig the existing ones up? Yeah. Uh, I would probably, they're, they're, they don't have really a deep root system, but probably one spade depth. So like eight or eight or 10 inches deep. And then okay. that should be adequate. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Yep. And just water the, you know, water the plants the day, you know, the day before you're going to dig them up. So that will help with the, the transplants. And do it in the fall. Yes. Okay. Thanks. Sure. And now let's go from Mike's yard over to Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Uh, hi, Mike. Hi. Um, last uh, summer I uh, found a couple of maple trees that I was going to transplant out in the woods, so I marked them with a piece of tape so I would know um, in the off season when I could dig them back up and, and install them. And one, a nice one was about eight foot tall, so I dug it up and uh, pl- planted it this spring. Um, of course, it had broke off to about four feet, um, before I planted it, I don't know if something hit it or whatever, but I came to look at it last weekend and, uh, um, a deer has made every leaf off of it. Is it you think it will make it? Uh, that's going to be iffy because I mean, a recent transplant. So you have transplanted or you're going to, I, I transplanted it in, uh, in the um, beginning of March. Okay. So I I transplanted it, and it was leafing out, and it was about four feet tall, and it it had leaves all over it. But I right. came uh, looked at it last week, and every leaf has been chewed off of it. Yeah. So if there's no foliage, then the plant doesn't have any food, so it's you know stressed out from transplanting, and now it doesn't have any food to help its root system get established or anything else. So it's going to be a little bit iffy, to be honest. Okay. Also, I have a peach tree that's five years old. And uh, um, it's always done good. And last year it had peaches on it. And I was getting ready to pick the peaches and came out the next morning. All was gone except for one peach. I guess the deer had ate them off there. <laughs> so I I ate, uh, uh, I took the, waited for the next day. I was going to pick that one peach off. And, of course, when I went out the next day, that peach was gone too. So I had no peaches. But uh, this year it has not leafed out at all and it's i don't know it hasn't done anything so i i don't know would that have killed that peach tree no i mean if it doesn't have the fruit that doesn't kill it what happens is there's too much fruit it can strain it but it usually won't kill it to the point where there's not foliage it just will you know just stress it it out didn't leaf at all this year oh then that's not a good sign okay Okay, Mike, I just was, uh, so you think I ought to just take it up and put a new one in there then? Yep, I definitely do. Okay, sir. Thank you. Sure, my pleasure. 
and then just realize that if you get dwarf, semi-dwarf, or standard size, that's going to determine how long you have to wait before you start to get any fruit production on any of the fruit trees. All right. Thanks again for your service. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Marge Yard. Hi, Marge. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, Mike. Uh, I have a snowball bush in my backyard, and I started to trim it the other day. And I noticed there's an awful lot of the leaves that look like they just really curled up real tight on there. Now, do I trim under those to get them all off, or do I just take them off singly, or what do I do? So they're rolled? Yeah, they look like somebody just rolled them up tight. I would say take a look on the underside or take take a leaf off and take a look at it or take it to your favorite garden center and have take a couple leaves there and have them take a look at it and find out what's causing that. Okay. Okay, Mike. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. The Voice of St. Louis. News that matters to you. KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If your house plants are staying inside or they go outside in a protected location so they're not going to get sunburned, just realize that they do need fertilizing probably once a month. But with house plants, you should just use half the label rate for your fertilizer. That's the best thing you can do. Doing a full label rate, you can do that, but you're wasting your time, your money, and your energy and so the plants don't really benefit from that as a result. So just keep that in mind. So you start fertilizing as soon as you start to see some new growth begin on your house plants. So let's head now to the back to the phones. Let's go to Don. Hi, Don. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I'd like to know whether or not, uh, if I'm not mistaken, do you... Uh, uh, give hydrangeas food, do you have to feed them every so often? Well, you should feed them through the growing season, yes. So, And, and use an acid-based type fertilizer. So what you want to do is, as soon as you start to see the foliage come out, you don't have to start feeding them right then because that's still pretty early in the season. But probably if I was guessing a date, let's say mid-April, that would be the first fertilizing. And then each month all the way up until mid-August, that would be the final. Let's say mid-April, that would be the final. Oh, oh okay. So uh, now how often would you do that? About once a week? Once a month? Once yes, a once week? a month. Once a month is adequate. That's for hydrangeas only, and that'll make them healthy. Right. And make sure that you get an acid-based fertilizer because it's going to have some of the nutrients that other type fertilizers don't have, which will keep your hydrangeas healthier. Okay. I asked for acid-based size. Exactly. Okay. okay. And my last question is, uh, how often do you feed your tomato plants? That's pretty much the same thing, except use tomato food, and then you could feed them probably every two to three weeks. And just make sure your tomatoes, they really love moisture. They really love fertilizer. So also don't let them go through any kind of drought stress whatsoever. Oh, you have to buy 
fertilizer separate. You have to use that separate along with the food. That's two different items, right? Yeah, that's two different things. So the fertilizer for tomatoes is separate from the fertilizer for hydrangeas. So the tomato fertilizer has certain nutrients that help the benefit of tomato production that hydrangeas don't need. I see. Oh, okay. All right. And yeah. Okay, that's that, that's about it that okay. I can think of as of now. Great. All right, then. Thank you, and have a great holiday. Yep, you do the very same thing. Let's head now over to Steve's yard. Hi, Steve. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my son uh, just bought a house a couple months ago, and it, it was uh, something that had been neglected. The, the yard, you could tell years ago, somebody had beautifully landscaped it. There were fountains, all kinds of a variety of stuff. And then it was just neglected for years. Uh, now he's looking at, um, well, the, for one thing, the hedges in front are like an evergreen hedge, and they're very overgrown, and he wants to cut them way back to where I think he basically wants to cut off all the green. And, uh, you know, my thought on that was, I, I don't know if you can do that with an evergreen. Uh, will, will, it leave, will it leave out again if you cut off all the green? Uh, probably not. You know, what, okay. I mean, basically for a plant to stay healthy, it has to have some foliage. If it doesn't have any foliage, then it's not going to make any food. So then the whole thing's just going to start imploding. So if you cut him back severely, he could do it and see what happens, see if he's happy with it. But it may, you probably will get very sporadic, very ugly new growth if there is any new growth whatsoever. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and we're just trying to figure out what, what to do next. Uh, you know, he's thinking he may he might take Roundup to a lot of it, uh, a lot of the overgrowth. And I keep telling him, well, you might kill off some stuff you don't want to kill off if you do that. But I don't know. Do you have any, any recommendations for an overgrown yard, how to get it back? Hey, as for, are we talking about stuff in the ground or are we talking about like woody plant material, trees and shrubs and things like that? It's both. There's an area that's uh, a lot of little trees have come up and there's other areas where it just, Lots of weeds mixed in with the the stuff that he wants to keep on, in the ground. Yeah, so that's you know Roundup will kill anything for sure. And if you if he's trying to kill woody plant material with Roundup, he's got to get the specific Roundup which says kill poison ivy and woody plant material. But it will okay. if it gets on other plant foliage, then it can do some damage to you know other plants if he's trying to save those particular things. And then you know. It just sounds like he's got to really find out what he's got there before he just starts going, I don't want to say crazy, but before he just starts taking too much action. Okay. That makes sense. So, like, you know, take some samples into your his favorite garden center and, and start or take some, I mean, take a class or whatever it happens to be, go online and try to find out what this stuff is because some of the stuff – you know, could be just disastrous, you know, if you take the wrong approach, you know, with it. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Good luck. And, yeah, Thank a new you. home that hasn't been taken care of for a long time, it's going to be uh, several years for him to get it back into shape. But severely cutting anything back regardless of the circumstance, you know, whether it's evergreen, whether it's deciduous, it doesn't matter. The recovery is minimal. So just, you know, tell him to keep that in mind. So now let's okay. head over to, to Jan's yard. Hi, Jan. 
Hello. Hi. I have uh, some knockout roses that um, the leaves look like uh, lace. Something has eaten all the leaves off. I don't know what to do about it. Uh, Basically, you should probably go. There's not too much, you know, as far as what the leaves that are already chewed you can do. But go to your favorite garden center and get a systemic insecticide. That's one that you're going to mix up with probably water, depending upon the variety, and pour it around the root system. It's going to come up through the vascular system, and it's going to keep, you know, whatever insects that are going to, you know, be potentially problems in the future, it'll kill them as they take, let's say, their first bite. So the insecticide goes up through the stems and into the foliage. Do you have any idea what is eating this? It's, you know, without seeing it, it's a little bit tough. Okay, because I can't see any insects on it at all. Are you looking on the underside of the leaf? Yes. And what, are you going out in the early early morning, like, I don't want to say right at dawn, but early on and then later in the day? Because a lot of times the insects won't feed during the heat of the day. Okay, I'll check tomorrow morning then. Great. Good luck Thank with you. that. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Sure, my pleasure. And thanks for having me on your show. And now let's head over to Karen's yard. Hi, Karen. Hi, good morning. Hi. I have two hemlocks on either side of my front uh, porch, and they've been beautiful for many years. And about two weeks ago, I noticed uh, freshly, um, I don't know what they're called, they're tiny little, um, they're the, the leaves, I suppose, of the hemlocks. Anyway, they were all over the ground. And in a matter of two weeks, uh, the, the one tree is dead. I've, I've called an arborist, and I think they're really busy with the storm damage. So I haven't had him come yet to tell me what's wrong. But what would cause a hemlock to die that quickly? And you've had it in the ground for multiple years, right? Oh, at least 25. Oh, my goodness. It's beautiful. It's the one I use for Christmas tree lights. And the other tree so far is fine, but the other one I've never seen a, a tree uh, go this quickly, and right. all of the remains of the tree on the ground are bright green, so it didn't get brown and die. They came off while they were still green. Wow. So anything, you know, for any kind of tree, whether it's deciduous or whether it's evergreen like the hemlocks, for it to drop that much foliage at once, it had to be related to all the rain that we had in this particular tree versus the other one. More moisture was hanging around the root system, and finally the root system just basically died, and then the top growth followed you know, followed suit. Okay, so it'll have to go, I'm sure. It's, yeah. It, there's nothing much left to it. Yeah, there's not. Uh, I mean, so they're going to have to take it out, and then to put another one right back in that same place is going to be really difficult, even if the stump's ground out and everything else. Right. So you don't think it's a it's an insect? You think it was more due to the roots being damaged by moisture? Yeah, no insect could possibly do that to a you know. I'm assuming this was a normal, healthy looking yeah, you know hemlock. Yeah, gorgeous, beautiful. Yeah, and so consequently, nothing, no bug could do that. Okay, with, well, thank you. Sure. So it had Bye. to be related to the root system just getting rot. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. KMOX is Cardinals Radio. This afternoon, the Cards, the Brewers. Ameren pregame show 1220, first pitch 115 on KMOX and streaming on KMOX.com.
Yes, folks. We just had a gentleman that had called and said the deer were just devastating some of his trees and taking some of the fruit off of his trees. Now, with the fruit trees, there's not too much you can do other than netting. And uh, that's probably, the. I mean, the repellents or things like that are also hanging bars of Irish spring soap off your trees. The smell of the Irish spring soap deer do not like. But also there are plants that deer don't like or they're going to stay away from just in general unless they're just starving to death. Some of the woody plant material, the ginkgo tree, the oak leaf hydrangea, the gold thread branch cypress, hawthorns, American holly, junipers, some of the paper, barch, paper birches, uh, roses sharon, blue spruces, hypericum, witch hazel, vitex, and a few other things. And I'll tell you, for some reason, the deer generally don't like the herbs. So if you've got a deer problem and you're trying to get some plant material that they stay away from, that's, you know, and then you can go online or go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and check out some of the things. And the bulbs, the lycoris, the alliums, the crocus, the glory of the snow, snowdrops, hyacinths, grape hyacinths, they just stay away from those. And daffodils. So they won't eat the foliage, they won't eat the flowers, they just kind of leave them alone. And guess, unless they're just totally crazy desperate. So let's go now over to Peggy's yard. Hi, Peggy. Hi. Hi. I have two questions, okay. if I may. The first one is, on the north side of my house, I have a fence line, a chain-link fence that has um, honeysuckle for years and years. In front of that, about three feet in front, I have a line of alternating um, forsythia and lilac. And over the last couple of years, once they have stopped blooming, I've noticed that these high, um, the uh, honeysuckle literally is over, overtaking the two, the, the uh, bushes. And I don't know what to do about it. It's almost as though it was part of the initial bush itself. They completely <laughs> cover the top of it. Is there a way to prevent that, or how do I get rid of the honeysuckle? Now, we're talking, are we talking shrub honeysuckle or vine honeysuckle? Um, it's whatever would go over a fence line. I guess that's vine. I, it's not a shrub. Okay. So base, basically what's happening is the only thing to do is physically take it off of it. That's the only way you're going to be able to stop it. Yeah, and that's what I've done in the past. Uh, you can't kill honeysuckle, or is there Oh, you can, yeah. I mean, what you could do is if you have access to where it's coming out. I mean, it's got to be coming up out of the ground someplace. Mm-hmm. And so if you have access to that, what you can do is unwind some of it and just paint Roundup right on to the leaf. I'm saying unwind it so it's not on the, the shrubs that you want to have. Right, And yeah. that way it will kill, but it's going to be a long, involved process. Okay, I was kind of afraid of that, and that's what I've been doing. I've just been pulling it off and just cutting it back. Right. Um, second question is very similar. I have a ground cover, a variegated ground cover. I don't know if it's vinca or what it is, but it's very viney. And it literally takes over and begins to run up any tree that it's around or like I have hostas in there. It kind of, uh, it stifles anything that I'm trying to grow in there. Is there an, without harming what I've got in there, other than cutting this back every time I see it, is there any other solution to that? Again, the same thing is just painting the Roundup onto the foliage of the plants that you're trying to get rid of. So in other words, a jar of Roundup with a paintbrush and painting it onto the foliage. Because unless you're very, very careful and cautious right. about the spraying. Yeah. And then I would kill anything else that's around there. 
Yeah. All right. I mean, well, basically, if you've got the Roundup on anything else, if you don't get it onto it, if you can protect, let's say, with a piece of cardboard, some of the stuff, the hostas or the plant material, you don't want it, the Roundup to get on. You can physically create a barrier. And then a lot of the Roundup containers, if you get a like a one-gallon container, will have a, a, a plastic cone at the end of the, yeah, the wand. Yeah. And that That's way it really keeps the spray right in one place where you put it. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah, that's a tough circumstance, you know, that you have there. And that probably the ground cover that's climbing trees and everything else is probably a type of euonymus. Euonymus winter creeper creeper would be my guess. Oh, you're right. It does look like euonymus. So. Huh. Thank you. Yep. I mean, it's, uh, I own, I don't anymore, but I own a home in Webster and the far part of the backyard, which was along a creek, it was just nothing but you want them a winter creeper. And I didn't care back there because it just, you know, that helped stabilize the creek bed and everything else. But uh, it does have some pluses, but it does have some negative aspects. So now let's go over to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Mike, I've got a uh, 24-year-old pin oak out in the front yard. And uh, I've noticed lately that uh, tips are breaking off. Is that a result of galls? Uh, only if the galls, if you have galls, you're going to see a round ball, you know, where the where the tips of the branch broke off. So usually it breaks off right behind where the gall is. So the leaves that are past the gall are going to come down with it. But my guess, it may be just squirrels. Well, that's what I thought, too, because I remember having uh, galls last year, and that was pretty evident, but I'm not seeing galls yet this year. And I thought, well, maybe these little guys that are making home here in this pin oak are just uh, <laughs> being nasty. Right. They got to, I mean, they got to chew because if they don't, their teeth are going to overgrow and grow into the roof of their mouth and all this other crazy stuff. So it's just Okay, not... I've got another crazy question okay. for you. Um, I've got a kind of a circular uh, footpath, you know, that comes up to the front porch, and it's bounded by uh, boxwoods. And beneath that, I've got uh, river rock spread through there. And uh, I notice I've got uh, what appears to be uh, weeds coming up through the river rock. Uh, what can I put down that's not injurious to my boxwoods? Well, it all depends on what the, you know what they actually are. If they're annual weeds, you can take one approach. If they're perennial weeds, but again, you know, to, to go after it with a you just have to be really careful because any herbicide, if you're going to try to kill it off that way, is going to be problematic, you know, from the I standpoint. I put some cream down, you know, granular cream. Right. But it doesn't seem to be doing much for the weeds. Yeah, the preen only kills seeds that are germinating. So if this is perennial weeds that are coming from a root system, the preen will have no impact on that whatsoever. So you're probably going to have to get, like I was telling the, the previous caller, Get Roundup and just get a paintbrush and start painting it onto the weeds directly. That okay, way you, you wouldn't keep... advise using that weed-begone spray well, you attach you... onto a water line, you know, a water hose? Yeah, I mean, you could do that. Just watch out because weed-begone is a broadleaf weed killer, and it's not going to kill your boxwood, but it could do some damage to any of, it, you know, any of the foliage that it gets onto. I got it. I got it. Okay, Mike, thank you very much for your service, and have a... Uh... Memorable uh, weekend. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now let's head over to Jack's yard. Hi, Jack. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. Um, quick question. We're having some landscaping done 
and the landscaper, we're, we're putting rock down, and the landscaper suggested a, a solid sheet of plastic to put down before the rock. And I was wondering if you should use that or if you should consider more of a mesh-type product. Yeah, I'd use landscape fabric because what can happen is if you use plastic, it can create a huge amount of humidity and could do some real damage to the soil. Even if you don't have any plant material right in that one spot, it could cause damage to the soil just in general. It suffocates it. So I would say landscape fabric would be a recommendation. Now, you know, I mean, the the plastic is a better weed barrier, but if you're going to have plant material, uh, I would still stay away from the plastic pretty much under any circumstance. Yeah, we had the um, the mesh type before. We've had it for like fifteen years, right? And it's kept it's kept the grass out very well. But probably this last three or four years, it's all kind of creeping through. So. Right. So what yeah. happens okay. with the, with the you know the mesh oh. is it's just I don't know what kind of lawn that you have, but if you have bluegrass or something like that, the runners can run up through your rock and just penetrate <laughs> down and go through the mesh. You know the landscape. Yeah. And that's or the landscape fabric, and that's what why it's getting established in those situations. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much. Have a great memorial. Okay. Thank you. And probably let's just go ahead and take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX. <laughs> Head over to Maureen's yard. Hi, Maureen. Hi, Mike, and thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, my question is, um, I've got some serviceberry trees that are just a year old, and the uh, suckers have really started coming out from the bottom, and they're about maybe about four to four and a half, five feet tall. Wow. And I did get some sucker punch, but my question is, can I cut those suckers down to about a foot? Before I put the sucker punch on, uh, what you yeah you can do that. Just make the cut at a forty five degree angle and just paint the you know the sucker stuff right there. But that's surprising. They're sending up that kind of growth that fast. Oh, it. I mean, it's on all of them. Uh, you came out and did a walk and talk with me, and and uh, I'm in University City, and uh, you recommended the service berries, and they're doing. I mean, they're they're beautiful they're wonderful but yeah each one of them has uh suckers now that have come up they might even be a little over five feet now and i called uh nursery and they said to get the sucker punch but my question was can i can i cut some of those suckers down before i put the the uh sucker punch on yep you can Okay, and just make sure I do a 45-degree uh, angle on the cut. Yeah, and that just makes the cut bigger. So Okay, and then I just do it right on the cut. Right. Is that correct? Exactly. Just right on the cut, right after you make the cut. So have the sucker punch right there and put it on as soon as you make the cut of that individual stem. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Mike, and thank you for your show. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hi. I've got an asparagus bed, and it's all furred up. Can I cut the asparagus down to stimulate more growth? So is it? how long has it been in the ground? 
Oh, it's been in the ground for years. Oh, yeah. So if and they're all ferned up, and I just want to know if I can cut the ferns back down and to get more growth. I would say probably not because the ferns that you're seeing, that's what makes the you know food, the chlorophyll for the plant to make it healthy. If you want some more growth or you know some, I would get more asparagus roots as opposed to just okay. trying to cut these down. Because I don't know if that's going to stimulate, let's say, more colonization. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. So just get some new ones. They're probably not available this time of year. They're going to be more available like in February, early March. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go over to Patchard. Hi, Pat. Hi, Mike. Hi. How are you doing? Very good. Pat Lewis. Mike, you know, we downsized out of Kirkwood oh, and yeah. uh, moved to yeah, I moved to Chesterfield, and I have a northern exposure going up to my front door, and I have about a 10 by 3 uh, area and about a 10 by uh, 3 by 15 area, and I need some recommendation for shade plants that are perennials. So these are actually shade. I mean, it is shade. It's not like just 20. It's no, shade. I have a little, little, little bit of morning sun out there. I looked at about 930, and I had a little bit of morning sun on the one side the other side was already pretty much in the shade so you just want some perennials i would say just start off with maybe two varieties of plants and one would be the coral bells but get the purple leaf coral bell and that's going to be dark dark maroon and i'd mix that in with the japanese painted fern a Japanese painted fern. Right. The Japanese okay. painted ferns, their fronds are going to have maroon in them, which will kind of match the same maroon of the coral bells, and they're going to have some silver, too. So I'd keep it pretty okay. simple. And then, of right. course, you know, later on, if you want to, you can always add some, like if I was going to add a, ho- a couple hostas, I'd get the variety Big Daddy because that's going to have big, like, blue-gray uh, blue foliage. So it would be real contrasting using all three of those. Okay, great. Yeah, I was hoping hostas. So good. Right. All right, well, thank you so much. I hope everybody's well. Yes. Yes, they are. Good. Good. Well, love doing your show with you. So good luck with it all. Well, thank you. Okay, talk to you soon. Uh-huh. And now let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. A uh, couple real quick questions. Uh, about two weeks ago, I bought about a... Uh, three-foot green giant avervitae, and I planted it, um, and it, it looked real healthy, and it still does. However, uh, a couple days ago, I went out to look at it, and it looks like, I mean, this isn't what happened, but it looks like somebody took a black permanent marker and and marked up some of the foliage. Uh, I'm wondering, you think that's because of too much water or... Um, I mean, because of all the rain we've had, or, or what would maybe cause that? Yeah, it definitely sounds like a fungus problem. Can you rub it off? No, and that's the thing. It, it won't rub off. Oh. And then I thought, well, maybe I ought to I ought to cut it, those parts off, but I didn't do that. I would probably um, leave it alone. And, you know, so okay. what this, you know, this sounds like some kind of physical damage, like when it was taken off a truck or pulled out of a trunk of a car or something, and that physically damaged those those particular fronds on the uh, the arborvitae. Okay. All so right. If you, gotcha. I well, mean, if, just... if it was fungus, you could rub it off, and if you can't rub it, then it's not fungus. Okay. 
All right. And my second and last real quick question. Um, I have a lot of Vinca ground cover. Um, I, I, uh, fertilized it about a month ago and uh, about a month and a half ago. And then I just fertilized it again about a week ago. Do I need to do that anymore? And if so, what's the best numbers to use on on that kind of thing? Uh, Number-wise, it doesn't matter. Just make sure that you get a fertilizer for acid-loving plants. Oh, okay. And I would do the fertilizing a little bit earlier. I would do like maybe the first one around Valentine's Day, then in March, then in April, and maybe in May, but nothing past that. Yes, that, okay. All right, great, Mike. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And that's going to be the last call for the day. So just if if you head to your favorite garden center, I mean, they are just robust with plant material-wise, color-wise, and everything else. It's just absolutely amazing. And uh, this year, Tracy really likes calla lilies, and they've been touted so long as being perennial. So I bought several calla lilies, and I'm going to try and see if they're going to be, uh, you know, really perennial like these, you know, a couple of these nurseries are really saying. So I just like to be experimental with a few things, and I've got them growing in window boxes. I have some in the large pots and things like that. And in this time of year, it's just uh, with this heat coming, just stay up with everything as far as moisture-wise. But don't overload as far as moisture-wise, too, because you could do some damage by overwatering your plant material, whether in the ground or in pots. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Have a great Memorial Day weekend, and I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.